0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
1: Hello, and welcome to Your Booked, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan, and I'm thrilled to be sharing a New Year special with an old friend. This cosy conversation is your invitation to read for pleasure, joy and fun. But first, if you want a gloriously silly listen, this is perfect for all current and past children. Producer Dale's hilarious audiobook, Help! I Think My Baby Brother is Henry VIII, as heard on WFMU, is now available in podcast form. You can find it on Apple, Spotify and Acast and it's very, very funny. Soon your but listeners will be the first to hear about my 2023 novel. I am so excited to tell you about this one and show you Becky Gayat's amazing cover art. There will also be a competition where you can win the chance to be a guest on the show. All will be revealed soon. For now, my novels Careering, as heard on BBC Sounds, and Insatiable are available everywhere, as are my non-fiction books How to Be a Grown-Up and The Sisterhood. If you buy any of these from an independent bookshop, I will send you a signed book plate. Now on to our guest. Sarah Manning is a great friend of this podcast. She's a prolific author, Every woman I love is obsessed with her novel Unsticky and her 2022 book London with Love was one of my favourites this year. So light, so smart, profoundly lovable and properly funny. Sarah is also a literary critic and writes the legendary monthly book column for Red Magazine. We talk about how to break a reading drought, tips and tricks to make 2023 your year of reading and Sarah gives some amazing suggestions for future reading. She knows what we're going to love this year. You heard it here first firstly, I would love to know about this uh, it 's been betwixt week and this i suppose wintry time when we 're all a bit sort of in hibernation. Are you doing much reading Is, Does this tend to be a time that you make time for that, or I know you read all the time and review anyway. Do you get to do your own reading now
2: no i 'm just on my review schedule i mean it 's so funny I mean. God loves the tryout. I get so many publicists just saying, oh, you know, this book that's coming out in July, you can read it over Christmas. It's like, well, no, I'm not going to do that. So I'm actually reading March books next already for like um Red's April issue. And there is kind of like no time to, to pause that because otherwise that pile of March books will be left unread um so yeah it's like the world's smallest violin oh Sarah it's so sad that you don't get to read you know apart from like all these new books that are coming out next year what about you
1: I'm about to finish Bleak House which I think I've been reading that for at least two months and trying to read a chapter or two every morning because I'd never read it before and I was starting to think I need to know what it is. I want to understand, you know, why it occupies the space in the canon. Honestly, I'll be pleased to have read it. I've rarely woken up and thought, oh, goody, I get to read Bleak House. I do worry that I've missed something. There's certain things that happen, like with the spontaneous combustion. Did I
2: understand that properly? (laughs) It's funny that you should say that because I did a bit of prep and we were going to sort of talk about you know, how to find time for reading. I actually read Anna Karenina a few years ago and the only way that I could... And I I tried to read it before and I'd just sort of fallen at like the first few chapters. Just all those Russian names are just so confusing. But I just decided I wasn't going to let it beat me. And I signed up to this site called dailylit.com and what they'll do is they will break a novel down for you. You can choose kind of how big the excerpt is. Every morning for over a year, I had a thousand words of Anna Karenina waiting in my email inbox. And that's how I read it. But I hated it so much that every morning when I read it, it just set me up in a bad mood for the rest of the day. And I can't say that reading that classic improved my life for the better and I had to skip all the bits on farming and religion and and now I'm just inherently suspicious and mistrusting of anybody who says Anna Karenina oh it's my favourite book because I just think objectively and subjectively how can that be your your favourite book when it's just (laughs) awful. And then there's a special place in hell reserved for people who went, oh, I thought the farming bits were the best bits. It's like... Who are you trying to kid? But I did, after I read Anna Karenina, I read Middlemarch in the same way by getting a chunk emailed every morning and I loved Middlemarch. Oh, that's interesting. It was really funny. I wasn't expecting it to be funny. I was thinking that
1: after Bleak House, where am I going to go? And I thought Middlemarch. So that feels like a sign from the universe. I
2: really, really loved it. Um, It's just, it's so great. Um... And actually, maybe I might sort of read another George Eliot this year. Although I went to Daily Lit while I was doing my prep and the site is kind of down at the moment. And I don't know if that's just kind of temporary gremlins or something more sinister. But it's such a, a great idea of um, just getting something in your email inbox so you don't even really have to think about it. It's just... I'm a really fast reader, so while I'm doing two minutes teeth brushing in the morning I can I can read a thousand words of like a classic novel which I'm sure is what George Eliot and Tolstoy would have wanted <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they were brushing their teeth when they were writing so. sure with Bleak House I I got a Kindle for Christmas last year I was a bit of a holdout and I found and I don't know if you've had this you're probably more organized with priests and things if it's a pdf or even um with friends sending like the actual word document and I was reading these things on my phone and it was probably like you know lace making pre-victorian I was like this will make me blind quite soon so eventually I thought I do need to embrace the kindle and I think that really really has helped with Bleak House if I was holding the enormous book I think I'd feel and it seems really I don't know there's a, that pretentious bit of me it's like oh no you must have the lovely paper thing and sometimes it is lovely to hold a book and read a book and have that experience but I think I could manage it because I had that and also because I'm always fighting with myself first thing in the morning I want to pick up my phone and mash it and generate yeah. those endorphins and that dopamine and it's the swipey screeny experience but in a very measured way
2: because I I held out, but then I had to get a Kindle at the start of the pandemic because there were just no proofs, and so everything had to be on PDF. So I got a Kindle then. It is really convenient for me. Kind of, I'm so disorganised that I kind of almost need a physical proof on a shelf. You know, that is a particular month in order to kind of track exactly what I've got but I do find the Kindle is convenient but I find that I have to sort of make sure that the the percentage of, of how much you've read in the book is kind of invisible to me because if I feel like I've been reading for an hour and then I look and it says mm. oh well you're only 17% it just makes me a bit ragey quite frankly do you know about that great kindle hack when you're um having like pdfs and word documents sent to your kindle oh no tell me you know sometimes like the writing is teeny tiny mm. when you send it like to your kindle email you if you put "convert" in the subject heading it automatically formats the text um, so that you don't have that terrible thing where you're you, somebody sent you a Word document or a PDF and the font is so small that you've had to enlarge it so much that you're getting two words to a page. But if you do convert as your subject heading it automatically oh, formats that's it. genius
1: because a, a book I read as a pdf that I couldn't format and I really loved this book and I loved it so much in spite of the awkward reading um, and read it's pdf and No Life for a Lady by Hannah Dolby which I think is coming out I want to say March actually.
2: I just read that.
1: Um, I really enjoyed it I found it really funny and really charming but it formatted in such a way where it was almost like poetry so it's a sort of like Long 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 long, <laughs> yeah. long, 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 long line. And it's Long, 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 long line. It had to such an interesting
2: kind of rhythm. But I really enjoyed
1: that. It is Hastings, isn't it, where it's set? It
2: is Hastings, yeah. I've got a friend that lives in Hastings as well. So I don't know the town that well, but I can't wait for her to read it. Because it's always really nice when you know an area well in a, in a book. But I just sort of really like that, you know, this trend for sort of ladies of yesteryear, but they're kind of... You know they've almost been born like a hundred and fifty years too sort of, too soon, and they'd be great if they were around today. Because it's got that weird, that fun feeling, isn't it? That sort of, because that's what you
1: want. Yeah, you want someone who's going to challenge the morals and values. And I can't remember is she and her late 20s in the book but at a time when she's been you know written off as a spinster because everyone else has got married when they're 12 and she's bridling against that
2: yeah I think she's because it's set isn't it 10 years after her mother Mm. died so I think she's about sort of 28 but she's she's decided that she doesn't want to be married anyway um but it's like what what are you meant to do with yourself all day if you haven't um if you haven't got a husband to sort of look after. I thought that was really interesting that you just met so many women in that book, none of whom were sort of married in a sort of conventional way and and all the different sort of lives that they'd managed to carve out for themselves or, or that they hadn't. Um, yeah, it was it was really good. I love a book that's kind of light and frothy on the surface, but there's kind of a lot of things simmering underneath. Yeah, a
1: bit like uh, Lessons in Chemistry. I think those would both be great books to break a reading drought if someone had sort of struggled to get into something for a while and just needed something that felt really bright and really different. Have you ever had a reading drought? Have there ever been any times in your life where you just not wanted to read and was there anything that broke it?
2: Well I I do get reading slumps because you know when you re- review for a monthly magazine that's 10 books that I need to review a month so I'm reading like between 10 and 12 books a month it just gets to a stage where it does actually feel really really relentless and it's just it's like I never want to see another book so what I've often found breaks a reading slump for me it's just going back to something I really really love I mean there's a I always read reread ballet shoes once a year where I'm not so much reading it as just looking at the page and sort of the words are already in my head um so I find that you know just going back to something that you know really well and that you sort of love it just kind of reignites that sort of pilot light inside you but I think also sometimes it's just really good to sort of switch things up so to change genre so if you've just been reading a lot of one thing maybe read some non-fiction read some crime I mean if I, I love sort of a good Regency smart novel. So, you know, I've always got sort of something in, in reserve, um, just almost as a palate cleanser. But I think everybody gets reading slumps. And what's really nice about um, my monthly schedule is that in in December there aren't enough books being published that I can pull together a a reviews page so I always do my 12 favourite books of the month but it means it kind of for me it falls around September it means I have a month to just read whatever I want which is just really really lovely. And it must
1: be so nice to plan for that and know that's coming.
2: It's just such a treat and actually this year it was that week that the Queen had died and I Read the Palace Papers by um, Tina Brown, which was just this delicious mix of quite factual information and just the most scurrilous but kind of researched gossip on the royal family. And it was just exactly the most perfect book to, to read at the most perfect time. But also I know so many people that kind of lost their reading mojo during the pandemic and just never really got it back so I think it happens to sort of everybody um but it's like writer's block you know I just just have to sort of um bang your fingers on the keyboard until it becomes writing and not typing I think there's always ways to break a reading slump or we we sort of talked um about you know reading resolutions and people that were sort of maybe thinking this is the year I get back into reading or you know I sort of become more serious about it as well as daily lit I think audiobooks are like a really great way to kind of you know ease your your way in gently Um, because you could always just have an audiobook on, can't you, when you're sort of like making your breakfast or sort of doing your skincare regime? I mean, there's only so many times you can listen to the new Taylor Swift album. And I think also a lot of people don't realise that you can get audiobooks on Spotify. I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah, you can. And also, well, you'd know this more than I, but also um the BBC do special editions of audiobooks because they did career in they didn't did not career. Is that like an abridged
1: version? It is. So they're all uh, fifteen minute episodes. So, you know, obviously sort of I'm biased. Other audiobooks are available, as the BBC would say. But I think there are lots of them. I know um Kate Sawyer, who's got a great book coming out next year, This Family. Her book, The Stranding, I believe that was a book at bedtime. Yeah, the book book at bedtime, it's all on the BBC Sounds app. And they tend to be, you know, episodes of things vary in length. but Anything that 15 minute mark is perfect, isn't it? I mean, I think as well that I wonder how much of it is about sort of, you know, generally people were commuting, then we weren't. And now we've had this strange year of getting back in and not getting back in. But I think you're so right that we are, we're all, I think, very familiar with podcasts. And when we used to, audio I think Stevie Martin, the comedian, made a great joke about the people, you know, never be dismissive or sneery about reading an audiobook as opposed to reading, reading because like, oh my God, you're reading a book with your ears, you genius.
2: Yeah. So I think audiobooks can be a great way in especially if you know they're just sort of in bite-sized pieces but talking of bite-sized pieces I think short stories are a great sort of gateway drug into sort of the wider sort of world and um, I think like this year there was the Marple anthology which was just such a great idea. Twelve crime writers each each did a story featuring Agatha Christie's Miss Marple and it was writers like Lucy Foley, Ruth Ware, Ellie Griffiths, Kate Moss. So getting, you know, 12 stories, you can do a sort of story in evening but getting a great introduction into sort of new, new writers that you might want to try. You know, there's been so many sort of like short stories, anthologies have been so important to me like when i was a teenager um i really loved jd salinger's esme with love and and squalor and then sylvia plath's johnny panic and the bible of dreams um and then there's a great f scott fitzgerald anthology that um has this great story in it called the dime a diamond as big as the ritz and then Somebody like Dorothy Parker, who I just loved as a teenager and I still love now, she never wrote a full-length novel. So she wrote kind of poems, she wrote amazing short stories and then like her her sort of collected works of criticism. Um, So you can read the classics, but there's also some great kind of short story anthologies coming out this year. I mean, the most notable one... In March, so it's Virago's 50th anniversary this year, and to celebrate, they've got 15 writers who each pick um, a different synonym for a Virago and use that as an inspiration for a short story. So it's some real sort of heavy hitters like Margaret Atwood, Ali Smith, Camilla Shamsi. That again is just sort of you know, what a great opportunity to just you know, read some great sort of of like feminist publishing. But then there's also sort of other sort of writers like sort of Caroline O'Donoghue, who sort of writes her adult stuff with Virago. So that just sounds like a really, really great Like a sort of
1: literary advent calendar. You can start your day with a different short story with a different writer and get that, you know, breadth of kind of, and you know, some you will love. And if you don't love others, then the next one will be great, as they used to say on VH1.
2: Exactly. And then there's an anthology coming from Picador, so in 2021, they published this absolutely amazing collection of short stories by this black American writer called Danielle Evans called The Office of Histo- Historical Corrections. Oh. And that was one of my bu- books of the year for 2021. There's a story in it about a woman that goes um, viral for wearing a Confederate bikini that just has really stayed with me. And then this year... Um, Again in March, Picador are re releasing an earlier anthology, which has the brilliant title of Before You Suffocate Your Own Full Self. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. Oh, that
1: sounds fantastic. I mean, I've got, if we're talking about short stories, I have to say that if you want, uh, I mean, my God, they break your heart, but um, Lucia Berlin and Penelope Mortimer, I think, are the, you know, some of the absolute masters of the form. And again, a really like I oh, I hate the word accessible because it sounds quite dismissive of stuff but I think it's really really important that you can you know if you are outside the reading habit and want to get back in
2: I think readable is mm-hmm. a great kind of I love it when people say your books are really readable because that's kind of that's why you spend sort of seven drafts, kind of like honing oh, every Oh well, I mean sentence. that's. The, I'm probably about
1: ready to reread um, your most recent book, London with Love, which I just adored. And I remember it was a Saturday, and I think it was getting maybe it's like when we had that early warm spell and. I thought, oh, I really want to read Sarah's book. And I think, and I did that thing of sort of knowing I'd love it and saving it. And I thought, well, just, I will start it now and read a couple of chapters and just settling in and having the loveliest, loveliest day with it and feeling like I was in that world. And that was such a glorious feeling to kind of, to read a couple of chapters and think, I've got no plans. I've got nothing to do. I'm just going to be here with this lovely book and just
2: gorge myself silly, which
1: I'd also given the the work it takes to write
2: a novel and the length of time to have someone say, I've read it in a day. Oh, thanks. That was a year of my life. <laughs> But also when you just decide, you know, whatever else is kind of pending, you're just going to read a book all day. It's such a lovely feeling. I, I kind of think a comparable feeling is when you go, you sort of take a, you skive off and you go to the cinema in the afternoon. And then when you leave the cinema, it's dark and it just feels that you've done something kind of really illicit and naughty. I think, but yeah, I think with
1: cinema and with um, you call it day reading, like day drinking, um. It's nothing but nourishing. It doesn't, it's one of the, reading is one of the few sort of pleasurable activities that doesn't fill me with any remorse ever (laughs) immediately afterwards.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I I think, you know, that whether you're kind of, you know, your reading mojo's gone or sort of this is the year where you sort of set yourself a goal. I mean, what, a book a month even, you know, I, I think that's, it's just, durable the thing is you know that it doesn't have to be sort of some booker nominated novel I mean yes reading can be sort of about educating yourself but it can just also be about sort of pure sort of pleasure I I, I'm a big believer in sort of reading the books that you want Mm. to read rather than the books that you feel you should read it's so true and I believe
1: I mean I don't know how many times I've read Rivals by Jilly Cooper but it's more than 50 um I had to read Rivals 50 times before I could read Bleak House to really, it builds a muscle, doesn't it? And you do have to put pleasure first. And like we were saying with Noel Stratfield, I just reread Gemma, her book about the the glamorous child actor who goes to live with her cousins, friend of the podcast, and of us, Jo West mentioned it, and she loves Noel Stratfield, but she'd not read Gemma before. And yesterday I had a sort of Christmas day, I was just feeling a bit kind of, Unwell and a bit sort of flat. And of all the books I could read, the only one that would do and would just deliver this perfect parcel of warm comfort and hope was a book that I remember loving with all my heart when I was eight. And it made me feel as safe and happy as I did then. And I think, yeah, to establish that association with pleasure and joy, it takes a few goes. And I think if you've not been reading for pleasure, you know, I'd say spend the whole of next year reading for pleasure and then you might feel like reading Middle March, but don't start with Middle March if reading feels like a chore already.
2: Yeah, I mean, set yourself up for success. That's, you know, in not just in reading, but kind of in, in life as well, really. I'm about
1: to start my next novel and I think that is what I haven't, that's the advice I've been missing. I've just been feeling, because the third one I struggled with and it's fine now, I think, but. This sort of feeling very like well, what did I do wrong, and how can I do it differently, and how can I make it a bit less miserable? I just set myself up for success, Sarah. That's what I have to do.
2: It's like with you know when I had a dog, you know, and she needed some kind of. You know, guidance and training, but you know, you set them up for success. You don't give them tasks that they're going to fail. It's kind of here is a delicious liver treat, and all I'm going to ask you to do is just make some eye contact with me, and you can have it. You know, you just, those sort of easy wins are just so important in life, aren't they? Because they sort of lead to sort of like the bigger, sort of deeper gains in the end. So I'm going to write this novel fueled by delicious liver treats. <laughs>
1: I would love to hear about your coming novels, but I know because we've talked about the the joy and pain and multiple edits and Lord knows what else. I don't know if you feel ready to talk
2: about that, if you oh. want to wait until... I, do you know what it's, I've just had, like, a nightmare with the book that I've been writing. I handed in on the third draft, kind of aware that there were things not right with it, which you expect, but I just taken a wrong turn with it and it's just I've had to do such a major rewrite on it and um before that there was a whole month of kind of going back and forth about what was wrong with it and just having to kind of make my peace with the knowledge that there was no easy fix it was like a rewrite and so um it's taken me weeks and weeks and it's rewritten but I've now got a manuscript that's part first draft part fourth draft so I'm in the process of kind of reading it now and knowing that I'm going to have to do another pass I cannot even tell you if this book is good bad indifferent you know it's just and I think also I'm kind of sick to death of it because I've looked at it for so long It's all a bit traumatising. It's coming out late next year. There's not even pre-order information yet, Um, but I think we're probably going to go with November, which I'm quite excited about having, you know, having had a November where it's really hard to kind of find books to review that aren't Christmas books or celeb sort of memoirs but I think also you always kind of repress the trauma of the rewrite don't you and then it comes upon you again and you're just like oh my god so that's been kind of quite hurty because I know you're prolific and this is I, mean, I don't like your, your
1: thousandth book <laughs> but I think it's really interesting and I think really comforting for me and anyone else listening who who writes or wants to write that Progress is not linear. Some books fly out of you. And well, I don't think I've ever quite had that yet. And some books are just dicks, and they don't necessarily get better or easier. Every time. They each present their own challenges. And if you want to do it, you've just got to accept that miserable truth.
2: Definitely. And I think also I realised that the last three books I'd written had been um, a Vanity Fair kind of retelling where Thackeray had done all the heavy lifting for me. (laughs) Then I did um, Rescue Me, which was basically, you know, the emotional arc was my dog's emotional arc. And then London with Love, which was a really personal book where sort of, it Some of it was autobiographical, but it kind of it you know I was the same age as the character, so kind of all the things and cultural landmarks and emotional landmarks kind of were similar to my own, and so I realized that this is the first book I've written in ages. I literally had to pull it out of my ass, you know um. Also, you know, in the midst of, sort of writing and rewriting and you're reading other people's books that, you know, have, have been through sort of like multiple edits and and line edits and structural edits and you've still got a, a fourth draft that an editor hasn't actually sort of worked on. So it's just every sentence kind of doesn't feel like it's it's earned its place Yeah, Yeah, it's just I think sometimes you just get those books of just really sort of being a forceps delivery and 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 this one this one is definitely one of them um and I think also because London with Love kind of resonated with so many people and sort of there was kind of quite a bit of noise around it it almost made me feel like I was on the back foot sort of writing this one because like but maybe it's not going to be sort of it's not going to have the same kind of reaction it feels like quite a different book I mean I'm really good at sort of second guessing myself yeah I will be quite pleased when this one is just sort of finally away from my hard disk oh it's so hard I think isn't it to be in
1: that world where you've got what you're working on And then every time you pick up your phone, there's like an Instagram review. It might not be, you know, positive or cheery. And even if it is, there were definitely, well... They like this, and i 've not got enough of this in this one, and they hate this and Should I completely change it and I kept thinking of my book as um like when you get two wrecked cars that get glued together and sprayed oh, and passed off, and there's basically you can drive ten miles out of the dealership before the car explodes and you're stranded, and having to take out the i suppose what I thought of like the The flashy exciting but ultimately quite flimsy bit and just make it into the one solid safe car was was hard um but yeah I think already I'm just still like there was so many times where I was absolutely on the floor and I didn't think I could do it and I did it and I hope I'm a little bit older and wiser for you know I've learned from the experience but also I'm a bit scared of looking into why it was so hard and what exactly happened before I go in again.
2: But I mean, I'm sort of however many books down the line. For some reason, this book, it was really s- simple things that I should know how to do just eluded me. Like the exposition was just, you know, it was just thrown into the book in like these huge clumps rather than sort of gently kind of seeded. Um You know, just some books are just harder than others, Mm. aren't they? I think
1: we've talked about this before, but generally, what are the books that really make you want to write and the books that make you, that you've learned from and kind of brought into your own writing, whether that is books about writing or fiction and the writers that you are inspired by?
2: I've never read a book about writing, Daisy. I just never have, apart from when I was doing my my English A-level and I had to read this awful book called The Critical Sense by James Somebody and I can still remember like chunks of it like form and content are inseparable yet we must separate them in order to criticise so that is the only book on writing that I've ever read and it, it is kind of I'm sure that most writers are like this that sometimes you can read a really fantastic beautifully written book and just think, oh, I just need to sort of give it up because you know I can never, I can never write like this. But then, by that same token, you read a book that is just so terrible, objectively terrible, and then you think, i just never going to write again because what is the point when this is getting published and it's a Waterstones book of the month? So, but I, I think that the writers have really inspired me. I mean, I always say Marion Keys because. When I was writing Unsticky, which was like my first adult novel, um, I mean, the way that I'd written my earlier YA novels was like in this kind of idiot, savant way, where I had no idea kind of how to kind of construct a novel. You know, with Guitarga, which was like my first standalone, I just emailed it off a chapter at a time, and it hadn't actually even occurred to me that maybe I should just keep all the chapters together and, and read the finished book. <laughs> I was just, I'll oh, send it off. So when it came to writing Unsticky, A, I had a really just unlikable heroine. It was like massively too long. Um, I, Now I wonder how I, I even got a deal for it. But my editor at the time, Kat Cobain, just said, have you, you read any Marion Keys? And I hadn't. And she said, you need to read Rachel's Holiday and I read Rachel's holiday and it's just such a revelation. So if anybody hasn't read it, Rachel is in rehab for sort of alcohol and drug addiction. But she and we the reader just actually sort of think, well, she's not that bad. Yes, yeah, she kind of likes a big weekend. She likes a sesh. Um, but it's not that bad. But as the sort of novel carries on and we sort of learn about sort of what Rachel's life has been like, you just realise that, you know, she has got serious problems. She's done some absolutely just terrible things to sort of the people in her life. Um, but you just absolutely root for her. She's sort of flawed and broken. But sort of you as the reader just so want to sort of put her back together. So after I'd read Rachel's Holiday, I was just like on a mad Marion Keys tear what I just sort of read everything that she'd written and she's just one of those writers I think Holly Bourne is another where they're just so great at just uncovering these kind of sort of dark unsettling sort of truths that lie at the heart of people but they can also make you sort of laugh in the same sentence it's just and that is just you know the most difficult thing to do and I sort of read a lot of literary novels and contentiously I would sometimes say I think literary writers get away with murder in in a way that commercial fiction writers don't, that our editors are a lot more kind of on it, that light and shade... Is very difficult. You can't just throw out the speech marks and think that that's enough and you've written a literary novel. I just think, you know, somebody like Millie Johnson is another one that she can just write these characters that are just sort of so real and that just thrum with kind of real life, with all the mm-hmm. kind of tragedy and sorrow of real life, but also with all the kind of joy and sort of laughter. So I just, for me, sort of the writers that I really admire are those commercial writers. And
1: I think they've all, what they've got in common is the depth of characters. I think both of those writers, you know them as soon as you meet them. And the thing I think about all the time with Rachel's Holiday, and I just reread again Rachel to get that sense of how she does the emotional reveal and it's suspense, but it's emotional suspense amidst lots of comedy, and lots of emotion where we are discovering something shocking that's being withheld from us but it's also being withheld from Rachel herself by herself and how you can know someone so intimately and even though she's not necessarily telling us what she has for tea and what happens when she goes to the shops you just feel like you know all those things and yet you can be surprised it's a almost spooky it's a magical magical thing and i bow down and that's definitely what i find the most inspiring and impressive but you know but i i feel that way about um grace of unsticky controversial grace and um jen jennifer jenny in london with love and i think all those you can feel that the movement of your characters i think you know exactly how they're walking down the street without you having to tell us there's something about that gorgeous enveloping But you're in the book with them and they're your friends and you know and you want to know more it's alchemy I think
2: I would hope so the other, the other kind of writing that inspires me actually is tv and film writing and one of the reasons for that is it has to be a lot more succinct than novel mm. writing Um, and I am a really wordy verbose kind of writer I have to sort of just usually not with this book, surprisingly. I usually have to chuck out sort of tens of thousands of words, so I'm always kind of really conscious when you're watching sort of a good television or good film what they can do with just a couple of lines of dialogue that would maybe take me like three or four pages. I mean, certainly when I started my YA, I was like really obsessed with Buffy, and. I mean, that is just, you know, Joss Whedon is very problematic now and I'm not quite sure that I could bear to sort of go back and rewatch, knowing what I know now. But again, that was a show that was just so great at that sort of light and shade and just really sort of tackling some dark things, but just, just lines that will always stay with me that are just sort of so funny and just sort of... Recently, I mean, I just binged like the white Lotus seasons one and two over the last couple of weeks. again, it's just such great writing um I suppose it's different when you're writing for t v or film because a lot of kind of the writing is all to do with kind of the setting up of a scene and the words that aren't on the page. I actually before I ever wrote a novel I did sort of a six week screenwriting course and I remember the tutor just saying the dialogue is the last thing oh. to get to get written. So film and TV writing, but I can't say that I've ever read the creative way or any of those those mm-hmm. books. Um I don't know why I haven't I just haven't. But I know that if people haven't fi- find them sort of really, really helpful. So I would never be down down on them. It's just for me it has never really occurred to me to sort of read anything like that.
1: I sort of held out and resisted for a long
2: time and
1: you know there are some that I've come across now and I've I love them and I come back to Muffin, I love Big Magic and I love Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, but I do think the most I've learned about writing is just reading writing, not writing about writing. It breaks my heart that we have to begin to draw things to a close because, as uh, you and I know, and producer Dale goes, we could probably talk until New Year's 2023. But I'd love to hear if the, I don't want to, don't want to give away any spoilers from your column, but um, the books that you're really excited for us to read in
2: 2023. I've done pages, pages of notes. Well, in January, I mean, already, I, you know, so I did my January books about two months ago and We All Want Impossible Things by Catherine Newman is already one of my books of the year. It's just such a special book. It's um She's a YA author, this is her debut adult novel and it's about two best friends who grew up in New York, Um, Eddie and Ash and they're sort of in their early 40s and Eddie has terminal cancer and she actually sort of moves to a hospice in Ash's sort of small town so that her best friend can be there sort of as she dies and it's a chaotic sort of messy funny book um and it's just one of those kind of ironic things it is a book about somebody dying but it is so joyous and life-affirming I don't think you could read it and come away from it unchanged it's just such a special special book and i just think it's hopefully it's going to just be a huge hit
1: i've heard so many raves about that book i'm desperate to read it Alison barrow said she'd send me a proof. Alison, if you're listening, I might have it on a PDF somewhere. But yeah, I was like, I can't read any books. Please don't send me any proofs apart from that one, which I long for. It's
2: really great. Then in February, two old favourites, Jojo Moyes and Ava Rice, both have books coming out. Oh, brilliant.
1: I've not read Jojo's, but I've loved Ava's.
2: Yeah, so Jojo's, it's kind of two middle-aged women, Sam and Nisha. Very different. Sam is sort of a very sort of beleaguered, Sort of middle class mum her sort of you know with just work is awful, her kind of her husband's having some kind of breakdown, and then Nisha just seems to be a very spoiled trophy wife and then um sam abs- accidentally picks up nisha's bag at the gym and it on 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 a day when both women are having like the worst day of their lives and sort of their lives collide because of this this sort of missing gym bag, and it sort of sets them both on a course to sort of you know change themselves it's really that good great. what's that called it's called someone else's shoes someone else's shoes and then the ava rice is just gorgeous i i just love her books and this is set in the 90s it's just a gorgeous slab of of nostalgia sort of set in kensington where both michael hutchins and princess diana are still alive. Is it called, is it This Could Be Everything? This Could Be Everything. And it it smells of CK1. It's brilliant, isn't it? And it's just, it's about a girl called February Kingdom who's um, had a tragedy and she literally hasn't got out of bed for a, a year and then she meets this guy called Theo and it just, it just, it's just lovely and it's just so nice to, to be back in an Ava Rice book. So excited about them, but April is like any book lover's big, big month because there's a new Curtis Sittenfeld romantic comedy. Um there's a book of short stories actually by Katherine Heine, who wrote the wonderful Ooh, standard deviation. Because I loved
1: her first book of short stories, Single Carefree Mellow. I'm very excited about this.
2: And then um a debut by friend your friend, my friend friend of the podcast um Lauren Bravo's pre-loved whoop, whoop. and then my sort of new auto author Emily Henry has a new one out oh what happy place i love her she's
1: been um someone I'd love to read this year and just always have a damn good time
2: yes Um, And then really just briefly, I just pulled out some like themes for like the year ahead is like dark crime. So I think because of the success of um, How to Kill Your Family, there's a great book out in February called How to Kill Men and Get Away With It, which is about this kind of Instagram influencer it girl who accidentally takes up serial killing men who deserve it, which is really good and then in april there's um death of a bookseller by alice slater which is sort of set in a bookshop and two sort of two women who work there who sort of end up having quite sort of a dark obsessive friendship and then in may there's a book called yellow face by rf kuang she's done some fantasy books before but this is a, a crime thriller set in the literary world I love books set in the literary world and then really briefly um the other big theme for this year is feminist myth retelling i i, I don't know how many more myths there are left to retell <laughs> but um so jennifer saint's new book atalanta is out in april and atalanta was the only female argonaut um but in march there's Um, Clytemnestra by Costanza Casati. Now, I actually did um, classics at GCSE. So... Clytemnestra is just one of the greatest characters in Greek mythology. So she was married to Agamemnon, who was like the commander of the Greek forces in the Trojan War. But he was a dick, as like a lot of these guys are. And so when he goes off to fight in the Trojan War, she takes a lover. And when Agamemnon returns, they murder him. And it's just a great novel about female rage. And and revenge. So I'm looking forward to that one, and then also in March, a slightly sort of different take on it. There's um a feminist retelling of 1984 Ooh. called The Sisterhood, which I'm really looking forward to. I can barely remember 1984 because I think I read it in 1984, but it's something a bit bit different. And there's also interestingly two. Takes on Macbeth, 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 Ed, um, and then Burnham Wood by Eleanor Catton. Ah. So those okay. are kind of um the big themes, but also I'm just some really pleased to be getting second novels from some debut writers that I enjoyed this year. So um pure rom com. So I'm looking forward to um The Breakup Clause by Neve Hagen, who just writes really smart, intelligent chiclet and then i'm really looking forward to sophie irwin's a lady's guide to scandal she writes very much in the kind of georgetta hayer mold and that's her sort of second book. So those are out in summer and that is a really there's loads of other books that i'm excited about but those are kind of like my my highlights fantastic oh sorry thank you so much i'm really excited for 2023
1: now it's a like gray and drizzly and cold but it's going to be a really cracking year for reading and very excited about uh, your book coming in november which i will be refreshing searching on the internet and um, trying to i can tell you what it's called oh can it's you called...
2: oh yeah i can tell you that it's called the man of her dreams oh, and it's about... nice. A woman whose imaginary boyfriend suddenly turns up in real life. That... Sounds so great. I love that premise. Oh, yeah. And while I'm here,
1: I really, really loved Cheska Major's novel coming, which I think is called Maybe oh, Next yes, Time. Oh, yes, Maybe Next Time. And I think that's coming in spring sometime. It's March. And um, Lucy Vine's new book, Seven X's. I'm very excited about she. That is really, really, really funny. And um, I think she just keeps getting better and better. So, yeah, lots to be excited about.
2: Yeah. And then also in November, a long time to wait, but I am so excited about Nina Stipe's... Yes, her diaries. A new one. Went to London, mm-hmm. took the dog. So I'm really excited about that. I mean, November feels like a long time to wait, but, you oh, know, always... Exc- oh, it's like- I love Nina's fiction, mm-hmm. but love Nina's just such a great book, so I'm very happy about more diaries from her. The only thing that feels weird to me this year is... I know that they won't be out to the autumn, but it doesn't feel like there's books coming from, like, big names... So, like, this year we sort of had a new Kate Atkinson, a new Maggie O'Farrell, a new sort of Camilla Shamsie. I feel in my waters that it's about time for a new Sarah Waters ah. novel. But I think, I think we've got enough to keep us busy, Oh, yeah. We? I
1: think that if you are listening and you want to read more, I think any of those will really spark you off and set you on a fantastic path. Huge, huge thanks to Sarah. From London with Love is a gorgeous, gulpable tonic of a book. Follow her at Sarah Manning on social media to get great book recommendations. Your book is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. We'll be back soon with some truly amazing guests. For now, I leave you with this from Jean Rees. Reading makes immigrants of all of us. It takes us away from home. But more important, it finds homes for us everywhere. See you soon.